If you didn't have the advantage of having the references for the scripture readings right above them as you heard me read through in the service folder, I wonder if you might have assumed that our second reading was from the book of James. As you heard it, it it kind of carried that tone, a little bit of the, the sense of James, which is very much focused on works and how we are to live, as that book gives attention to the relationship between faith and works. Very similar to what we heard from 1 John this morning. And so it's important to know that that is not the kind of section, either in James or the verses that we heard this morning, that I would ever pastorally direct somebody or encourage you to direct somebody who is struggling with guilt and sin, whether it's some specific sin that troubles them or sin in general that is maybe even so weighty on their hearts that they're despairing of their very salvation. No, I would not encourage you to to direct them to verse 3 of our text this morning. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. No, you share those verses with somebody despairing of their sin and and discouraged under the weight of it, you are only going to heap more guilt on them and leave them even more uncertain than when they came to hear you. But I might very well point them to a verse that precedes our text this morning in the very same letter of of John, just a chapter earlier in verse 1, I may very willingly encourage them to look at verse 9 that says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Ah, there, there are words of comfort and assurance. Words of life for a despairing, agonizing soul. In fact, as we consider these these words from 1 John before us this morning and recognize the difference between try to understand what John is encouraging us to do, we have to rightly understand Jesus for us before we get to Jesus through us. And by way of application, I think we had a, a perfect example just this morning with little Maximus brought into God's family through the powerful waters of baptism. Now think of of an innocent little child like that, seemingly innocent. Would that little Maximus, who not only has a great name, but now has the assurance of salvation through his baptism, would he ever have a hope and a prayer of carrying out what John encourages us to do in these verses? Is is little Maximus able to to come to know him and show it by keeping his commands? Is he able to to not be a, a, a liar, but to show that the truth is in him by doing what God tells him to do? Absolutely not. No, his hope, his assurance, comes from the confidence that knowing, though he's not able to keep God's commands, he is, by the faith worked in him through the Holy Spirit in baptism, able to receive the assurance of forgiveness. 
And it's through that very message of forgiveness that he will grow and continue to be encouraged to let his light shine. And that his parents and indeed his church family will take very seriously that responsibility that God gives to us to make sure that he continues to hear that, that good news of forgiveness in Christ Jesus so that as he sees more of the light of Jesus, his Savior, he will seek and desire to reflect more of that light in his own life. See, that doesn't happen naturally for us. That's why we always rightfully stress the cross of Christ over keeping the commands of Christ. Because an emphasis on keeping the commands of Christ will leave us despairing. But an emphasis on the cross of Christ gives us hope and assurance because there we see that he has done it all, that it is finished. And not only that, but it's there that he changes our hearts. You see, it's not as if some switch just got flipped and that law of God that naturally we despise and want nothing to do because we don't stand a chance of keeping it. It's not like we flip a switch and say that law, which to us is just duty, now suddenly becomes delight. Only the Holy Spirit changes that view, that perception we have of God's holy, righteous law. Only as he shows us the light of his Son, our Savior Jesus, does that light then shine and reflect through us as well. What we're really talking about here in these verses is an understanding of two of the, the main teachings in Scripture. Doctrines called justification and sanctification. Everything that the church believes and teaches stands and rests on the teaching of justification, which simply put is God's declaration that all people are not guilty. Because Jesus paid the price for our sins. And Jesus met the holiness that God demands. He can declare us not guilty, and he has. Purely prompted by his love for us. That is the doctrine, that is the teaching on which the church stands and falls. Our faith in its entirety hinges on the teaching of justification, which we might say is, is the light of Jesus for us. But because we rightly elevate and hold up that teaching where it belongs, does not mean that, that we need to diminish or downplay the other teaching of sanctification, the light of Jesus through us, or we might simply say Christian living. And sometimes we can have a tendency to do that, to diminish or downplay Christian living, and then we totally would have to ignore the words that John shares with us in our second reading this morning. The encouragement and the guidance that he provides for us to live sanctified lives. So that light first shines for us, justification, to then shine through us, sanctification. Think of it like this. Imagine that you are at a concert. And as, as many concerts are, the concert venue is, is already pretty dark except for all of the lights on the stage. There's a big crowd filling the arena. They're enjoying the concert when suddenly, just like that, everything goes pitch black, like everything. Now at first, the concert goers probably presume it was just part of the show. And the crowd waits patiently for the lights to come back on, for something to happen. And then they get a little bit antsy and then start to wonder, well, maybe, maybe there was actually a malfunction. I'm sure there are people working on it. They'll have the lights up and, and running in no time. 
And instinctively, people start to reach into their purses and pockets for their phone to pull out it and use it as a flashlight, and they quickly remember that they weren't allowed to bring their phones in so that they couldn't record the concert, but had to leave them outside in personal lockboxes. It's my story, I get to make up the details. <laughs> so as this darkness ensues, people are starting to panic and fret, and anxiety levels rise up. And as people are getting nervous, there you are near the stage and serendipitously find a flashlight. Again, my story, I get to make up the details. You find that flashlight in the middle of this pitch black venue and you turn it on. And just like that, all of the eyes in the concert hall are drawn to that light. Everybody suddenly calms down just a little bit. And you shine that, that flashlight on the back wall, spanning for the exit sign to give everybody direction to know how we get out of this pitch black place. And as soon as you span and you find the doors, then you notice, you see that everybody knows now where the exit sign is or where the exit doors are, then you turn off the flashlight. And almost as quickly as the panic had risen up and quieted down now, it rises again to those same levels. I think you'd agree with me that that would be rather foolish, wouldn't it? Nobody would have lights that could direct and help everybody in that concert would willingly, knowingly turn that light off, presuming that everybody saw the exit and they should be good to go. We can go back to being in the darkness. And yet that's essentially what John is saying we're doing when we don't reflect that light through us. It's really what he says in, in verses 9 and 11. He says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. John is saying it's foolishness to claim that you are a child of the light, a Christian, but then not walk in that very same light. I don't remember how many years ago it was, but undoubtedly many of you remember the very popular bracelets that had the letters WWJD on them, right? And if you weren't, those letters stood for What Would Jesus Do? And the whole point behind that campaign was for Christians to be encouraged to stop and think in this situation or in this situation, what would Jesus do? And we rightly kind of hit the pause on that saying, okay, wait a minute, there might be some value here, but we, we want to be careful that we don't give the impression to people that Jesus is first and foremost our example to follow and miss the fact that primarily he is our substitute. Jesus didn't come just to say, here, I'll do it first and then you do what I did. He came to be our substitute and do what we could not. That's where the assurance of our salvation is. But John is really saying it's precisely because you know that, it's because your salvation isn't dependent on your life of sanctification, but on Jesus, your substitute, that we now can have a healthy relationship and look to him as our guide, as our example. So what would Jesus do today? 
I suspect that, that Jesus would long to gather together with his brothers and sisters in Christ around word and sacrament on a regular basis. Not just quarterly. Not maybe once a month. But that he would long to do that every week that his family gathers around his Father's word. I suspect that what Jesus would do when he's engaging with other individuals is talk far less about himself and his own problems and how he feels about this or that and do a lot more listening so that he might discover the needs that that others have in hopes of then meeting those needs. I suspect that Jesus, what would he do? He would have a, a very vibrant prayer life, one that actually followed through on promised prayers instead of leaving so many of them unkept. I suspect that what Jesus would do would be very deliberate and intentional about forming friendships with strangers so that those former strangers, now friends, might through him have the opportunity to hear the best news possible that he is their savior from sin. Now, I don't know about you, but when I consider what would Jesus do, I'm not left wanting to pat myself on the back. In fact, it shows me what a poor imitator of Jesus I am. And realize how how dangerous that is. On a number of different levels, go back to that that concert hall. As you turn off that flashlight, having shown everybody the, the safe exit, as you turn it off and they're now pitch black darkness, It's not just those around you that are at risk and danger of trampling over each other in their panic, but you put yourself at risk as well, don't you? Do you hear the warning about not living in the light? God says this is not something to be trifled with. Do not downplay sanctification and living in the light and being near to your Savior to enable you to do those very things. To diminish the gifts that God has given you to be in the light is to despise his gifts and run the risk of ending up in utter darkness. And it's not only harmful and dangerous to you, it's harmful to others because you aren't able to be what they need you to be. You cannot be the dedicated parent You cannot be the committed spouse. You can't be the compassionate neighbor, the hardworking, dedicated employee. None of those things, those vocations we call them, the different places in life that God has has put us in, we are incapable of carrying out any of those to a degree that would please God if we remain apart from the light of Jesus. And so not only do we do a disservice to our own spiritual health, but we are not measuring up to what God calls us to be to serve others and to glorify God in the process. Do you get it? Do you see how important it is for us if we are going to allow the light of Jesus to shine through us in our lives to stay connected to Jesus for us as the light of our salvation? If I am going to be a faithful child of God in my sanctified living, then it goes back and it starts with again and again 
knowing that I am first and foremost a forgiven child of God. It's just like the children's message. Solar panel is not going to be effective if it has no sunlight to absorb. It has no energy to give out. So with us, in our lives of sanctification, you have nothing to give anyone else unless you receive it first and foremost from Jesus, your Savior. So dear friends, rejoice, first and foremost, and again and again, in Jesus as the light for you, your Savior. And then in that grace and forgiveness of knowing who he has made you to be, go and reflect that light of Jesus through you as well. Amen.